Greetings, one and all. This is Rish Outfield, and you're listening to the Rish Out Now, I'm doing this odd voice for no good reason. But it occurred to me that perhaps what I was about to say might be perceived as arrogant, conceited, haughty. And so this is a voice that matches that attitude, that personality, if you will. Oh, well, maybe I should stop. It's starting to irritate even me. Uh, I thought I would talk to you a little bit about the audiobook that is available to buy, which I have just completed. And I was a little worried because I'm going to be critical of it. And I thought, well, is that appropriate? Is that okay for a... What am I? A professional? I'm certainly not a professional. For a an actor to do. Well, am I an actor? What am I? What is an audiobook narrator? Let's say for a narrator to do. When I lived in Los Angeles, I never really got to know any professional actors well enough to call them my friends. There was one actor on the set of Boston Public that I hit it off with well enough that he knew my name and uh, we spoke. I ran lines with him. His name was Tony Heald and he was in Silence of the Lambs. He played Dr. Chilton in Silence of the Lambs and I think he played him again in um, the Red Dragon adaptation that came a few years later and even so, I never got to know him. It was just we had a friendly interaction whenever we saw each other. And I wish that we had become actual friends so that I could ask an actor, a working actor, some questions about what it's like. And one of the questions that I would like to ask is, what, what do you do when you're an actor of his, at his level where, you know, some people probably know who he is, some casting directors say, oh yeah, Anthony Heald, I, I, I think he could do this part. We'll see if he's available. But he's never somebody that people are going to stop on the street for an autograph. He's never somebody that's going to have his name above the title. But when you're an actor like that, you got to take whatever jobs you can get. You go to auditions and you don't get all of the, the gigs and when a telephone rings and somebody says, will you do this part, you say yes. And then unless you physically can't do it, you're already booked on something else, you take the job because you never know whether more work is going to come your way or, you know, when kind of thing. And money is money. But what do you do when you're working on a project and you know that it's not good? Because you can tell, right? Or can't you? Maybe you don't know at the time because you're just doing your day's work. You're doing the best job you can and the actors and the, the crew, they're all putting in their hours and your goal is to get the work done. It's not necessarily to make great art. That is the director's job that is the editor's job, you know, the score is going to help. And then, of course, it goes back to the screenwriter. Was the screenwriter trying to make art or was the screenwriter like the working actor just trying to get a paycheck as quickly as he can, or she, I suppose. The thing is, a lot of times you might not know until you see the finished product that it wasn't good. But in that case, what do you do? What do you say? Uh, I remember Shia LaBeouf incurred the wrath of Harrison Ford and, and probably Steven Spielberg to a lesser extent by criticizing Indiana Jones 4 by saying that Indiana Jones 4 was quote unquote shit. <laughs> I like the fourth Indiana Jones movie. 
I think it's the fourth best of the indie movies, but I don't think that it's it's terrible. There are a couple of moments in there that are terrible, but it doesn't drop nearly as low as the Star Wars prequels did. And those have had like this re resurgence in popularity, this reappreciation that Indiana Jones 4 apparently will never have. I remember Harrison Ford saying, you're a working actor, you're part of a team, you don't do that, it's unprofessional. You know, then Spielberg went out in a bout of depression and made a movie whose title was so shitty that I wouldn't even go see it. So I, I pity those involved, but what if you realize that it's not good while you're making it? Does that affect your performance? Do you just work out the time clock? You read your lines, you get out of there and you move on hoping that the next project is better. These are all questions without answers. I don't know. I certainly have been asked to read stories for other people's podcasts and for my own that I didn't think were very good. But my job is to do the best I can with the material. I mean, there was a story, if you recall, that I basically had to rewrite because it was written in English as a second language and parts didn't make sense and dialogue didn't sound like dialogue that people could say. And so I did the best I could with it, which was uh, take the material and make it so it did sound like English dialogue, make it so that it flowed a little better. And I was not embarrassed to do that story at all. That's not one that I'm saying was bad in the end. But with this book that I am about to put out, it's called The Forsaken, and it's by Angela Townsend. And, you know, there's that old saying, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. And I wonder how old that saying is. It seems like a very cynical, like, 1970s saying. But it applies here. I didn't know whether I would be uh, hard on this book or whether I would be, um, what's the opposite of hard? Or, you know, if I, there would be a little bit of both. But mostly what this episode is, is how the sausage is made. How an audiobook like this gets made, how I feel about it, and then... I think I'll throw in some outtakes because there are a lot. But, you know, there are people that don't want to know how the sausage is made. We live in a movie society where everything is done with computers. And so that's the answer to everything. It's just too easy. But back in the day, you know, when there was trick photography or they had sped something up or there was a double or a stuntman or stop motion or animation or blue screen, or process footage, uh, mirrors, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I could understand somebody saying, well, I don't want to know how they did that. For me, back in the pre-CGI days, I always wanted to know how they did it because I was fascinated by the process, fascinated by the tricks, and wow, really? You know, the, the, those shots in The Lord of the Rings where Frodo and Gandalf are in the same frame, but it's just done with perspective tricks where they're both sitting. One is sitting closer to the camera and one is sitting farther away. That costs almost nothing to pull that off, but it's excellent. It's wonderful. It'll never date. It'll never age in the way that a CG effect would or a process shot would, an optical effect would, etc., etc. I'm just lengthening this episode, aren't I? You know what you don't want to know how the sausage is made means. Sorry. But yeah, that's that's what this is. I, I guess we could call it the, uh, the how the how the forsaken sausage got made. The air seemed thinner and the fog much lighter. 
They swirled together, forming wispy tendrils that snaked around his ankles and slithered through the iron bars of the Gatrinchabaskinida. Hepzibah Blackthorn, 1870. Rest at last in the eternal peace that only death becomes. That only death brings. Rest at last in the eternal peace that only breath. That only... I'm falling asleep. Rest at last in the eternal peace that only death brings. I had retired from audiobook narration, at least from ACX, Audible's self-producing narration service. And I did a whole episode about it. There was a particularly vile audiobook that I did, and I felt morally compromised. I felt morally bankrupt when I was doing it. It was really bad stuff. And not bad on the level of a Michael Bay Transformers movie, but bad on the level of Man of Steel. And I said to myself, well, that's it. I'm going to complete this project, although I was tempted to quit halfway through and not complete it. But then all of the work that I had done, which was considerable, on an audiobook, it's a lot of work, would have been for nothing. And, and then the terrorists really win. I thought, okay, I'm going to finish this and, you know, I'm going to let them publish it. And then I'm retiring. I'm not doing this anymore. This broke me. This was, uh, what was the movie that Connery said was such a bad experience that he retired from acting? He, he wouldn't even work in Indiana Jones 4, ironically. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, that's what it was. I wonder if Kingdom of the Crystal Skull would be better received if it were Connery's last film. Uh, that part was rewritten for John Hurt, who has passed away. And I like John Hurt, but, you know, he wasn't Sean Connery and it wasn't Indy's father in that part. So it makes a difference. I retired. I wasn't going to do it anymore. And I was fine with that. I make so little money from those audiobooks. Now, I do get a check every single month. And that means that somebody is buying something that I have made, that I have recorded every single month. And that is good. When I first got into it, which I think was in 2013, that was part of the reason that I was doing this, was you will get residuals, you will get checks every single month, presumably for the rest of your life. And that uh, that's another reason that actors take whatever gigs especially television, that they uh, can get is that, you know, you never know how many times something's going to be run and the size of those checks. I'm tempted to tell you a story about the MASH opening titles, but I'm not going to. A lot of this stuff that I'm telling you right now, I have told already in that episode about not doing audiobooks anymore and in my monthly Patreon addresses as I was building toward this. So feel free to support me on Patreon if you want more minutia about what's going on in my life professionally. Uh, I hate to use that word. It doesn't apply to me, does it? Uh, give me just a moment. Get to the truck before more of them. Next page. Before more of them appear. Okay, so what's this guy's voice going to be like? Uh, we're actually taking bids on the project now. We're actually taking bids on the project now. We're actually taking bids on the project now. He's Canadian. We're actually taking bids on the project now. Okay, so I put the uh, recorder down all day. It's been, geez, 11 hours. So I need to uh, try and figure out where I was and uh, continue saying what I was saying which is funny, but it's what I'm going to do. Oh, and the reason I'm driving right now is there seems to be a lightning storm, thunderstorm in the distance. And so I'm just going to drive to the lookout point here and watch it while I record. Seems like you could do worse than that, right? Okay, I've already told this story, like I said, 
to the Patreon people, but I'll give you a, a brief overview. I got contacted by the writer of this book. I had done a book for her in the past, and this kind of audiobooks, it's probably the easiest I've done. It was the easiest process I ever had with an author. I sent the finished product to her, and she approved it immediately. Like, so fast, I suspected she didn't even listen to it. But I contacted her, and she's like, oh, no, that's perfect. So I thought, oh, well, maybe she was monitoring as I was uploading the files. And I uploaded the last couple of files, and she listened to those and said, okay, it's great. But she didn't request any changes, didn't find any errors, which I have to admit got my spider sense tingling. But she's the client. Anyhow, that was a couple of years ago. And then she contacted me when she had sent this book to her publisher. She contacted me via, uh, via Facebook. And I thought, oh, you know, that's nice. She's probably sent this message out to all of her Facebook friends as her fans. I know I was on that list, but I guess what it was, was that she had sent it to her publisher, but she wanted me to do the audiobook. Now, I've already told you why I didn't want to do that anymore. Plus, it's, like I said, so much work for so little reward. You would laugh if I told you what I make on those a month. You know, when I first started doing the audiobook thing, I was hungry. It was something that I wanted to do, and I wanted to get my foot in the door, so I would do anybody's book that wanted me to. But really quickly in that process, I, I realized, no, you don't want to do everybody's book because a lot of these books are terrible. And it takes as much time, if not more, to do a terrible book than it does than it does to do an excellent book. For me, now your mileage may vary, but having to figure out what they're trying to say here or make it sound natural or realize, oh no, they screwed up the tense in this. I gotta fix this, this, and this. You know what? No, I can't say for me. It's got to be for everybody. It's a universal truth. That's a universal truth, straight from the mouth of Confucius or Yoda or Rupert Giles or Cookie Monster. And so I didn't want to do those anymore. I had Abigail Hilton, who gives me work about every year or every other year, and that's excellent. That's for money. I've got my own projects, which always take longer than anybody by any stretch of the imagination, would give them. You know, if you said, okay, it's going to take me a month to do this, count on three. And so I stepped down, but I, I got an email from her saying, I put the book up if you would like to uh, audition for it. And, um, you know, that I found that flattering. I thought that that was pretty nice, but I couldn't do it at that moment I was still wrestling with my own audio work. About a month went by and I finished my projects and I had been given a couple of stories to do for other podcasts. But once I finished those, I thought, oh, well, you know, I could probably fit your book in now. And I went on ACX and it wasn't there. So I sent her an email and I said, oh, hey, you know, I, I wasn't able to get to it, but I, I do have some time available now. And she said, oh, you didn't respond, so I gave it to somebody else. But don't worry, I hate what he has done. He's not nearly as good as you would be. I'll tell him I've changed my mind and uh, you can do it. And that flattered me too. To hear somebody say, I will fire the person that I have put in charge of this so that you can be in charge of it. Well, that, that really speaks to me. That really makes my ego inflate. And so she still wanted me to audition. And you know what? Maybe that's just how that thing, the ACX works. There's no way around it. So anyhow, I auditioned for it. And immediately after she accepted, 
And she gave me a month to do the whole book. Now, that's not entirely true. She gave me a month and two days to do the entire book. And if she had been paying me like Abigail Hilton pays me, where it's just like, okay, when you're halfway through, you get half the money. When you're completely done and I am satisfied, you will get the other half of the money. That is just like an excellent motivator. And I always put her stuff on the very top of the pile because nobody else is going to give me that kind of deal. But on this book, you know, I started it and uh, I had sent Angela, the writer, a list of questions about the characters and about how do you want to do the voices and how old is everybody. And she sent me the world's smallest response which is whatever you want to do will be fine. There is one character who is Irish, but I'm sure you will do great. I'll take your I'll take her boat home. You guys go on ahead and get to her shore. I'll take her boat home. You guys go on ahead and get her to shore. And so I got to work on it. The Forsaken is a sequel to a book that was called The Forlorn, where a young man is put in charge of a lighthouse in Nova Scotia off a fishing village, and he discovers that the lighthouse is haunted. He runs into a girl, a love interest girl, who has psychic abilities, and she is able to sense what the dead want. And at the end of that book, he is able to help the lost souls in in this lighthouse and he opens up some kind of door so that I, I believe these, these sailors that have been lost at sea can find rest. It was a fairly successful book with a publisher and a, a independent film was made of The Forlorn. And uh, you can see that trailer on YouTube if you like. I had not read the first book, but I read its synopsis and watched the trailer for the movie and read the one sentence of notes. I had already auditioned uh, and for the audition she just gave me the first chapter. And so I had read the first chapter and I just went for it and gave Tom, the main character, my typical square-jawed hero voice. And I struggled immensely with the Irish accent. The one you and Ava were talking about on the other night. The one you and Ava were talking about the other night on the island. I'm just not able to do an Irish accent. Never have been. Never will be, apparently. No problem at all, honey. No problem at all, honey. This is not a rebel song. No problem at all, honey. Oh, well. And um, in this book, he discovers that he has opened this portal to the other side and that at least one other spirit has gotten through. And this particular spirit is not a lost soul that needs to be put to rest. This is a spirit that wants vengeance. This is a spirit that is not at rest and is angry about it and focuses on him, focuses her ire on him. And it's quite scary. The rain is really starting to come down. It was a mistake for me to uh, come out here. The, the, the spirit focuses her ill will on him. And she is a woman wearing like mourning attire with a veil. And she's super thin. And every once in a while he catches a glimpse of what's under the veil. And she looks to be like really mutilated. You know, that, that kind of... Uh, skeletal, rotted, and and it, it's pretty dang scary. I've always been afraid of ghosts, and I've especially been afraid of old women ghosts, and so I really like this idea. And Tom tries to figure out what she wants, but it really seems like she just wants to mess with him. And she's got this vulture that she controls. It's like a ghostly vulture that shows up whenever something terrible is going to happen. And later in the narrative, we find out that she has the ability to send other spirits after him. 
and in a truly disturbing scene he's in a cemetery trying to figure out who this woman is and the bodies of the recently dead start to rise up out of the ground and go after him and as he's hiding from them one comes up behind him and it licks the back of his neck with its rotting tongue and that to me was really effectively disturbing and and scary that's not something that i can really remember seeing in a movie or having read in a book and so i really liked that he also gets terrorized by essentially the big scary truck from duel except for it turns out that that truck crashed and burned like in 1968 or something like that and so uh, it's a ghost truck and that to me seems kind of unique as well would make sense wouldn't it since they were part of the curse he placed on the island this is not a rebel song would make sense wouldn't it since they were part of the curse he placed on the island he teams up with Ava who was the love interest in the first book to try and find out what she wants to get her to leave him alone and they follow various clues and every person that they meet every person that they meet in town knows about this woman and can give him more information leading him to the next place where someone else gives him more information and for each one of these characters I would do a voice and I felt like the dialogue was pretty good it was fun to hear the story of what had happened to this woman Hepsiba Blackthorn and why she might be a a forsaken spirit her face seemed powdered to perfection and her hair shellacked in place and swept up into a thick white bun shellacked in place and swept up into a thick white bun i'll let you two look through the documents let me know if you need anything the woman picked up a stack of legal the woman picked up a stack of legal fire facers Ooh, that was me falling asleep. The woman picked up a stack of legal filed folders. The woman picked up a stack of legal file folders. What's the first page? Ava asked. A172. Ava opened the book and carefully. Ava opened the book and carefully flipped through the pages. Well, fuck. I'm falling asleep. We found a document that's sealed. We were wondering if we could look at it. After all this time, she said, I can't see why not. Everything from that time period, everything from that time, everything from that time period is now. God damn it, I'm falling asleep. Everything from that time period is now public record. Do you have a number? I'll have to get it out of the vault. Tom returned to Ava's side and showed the woman the entry in the book. Okay, she said. I'll be right back. That was me asleep. <sighs> also, the book is fairly tight. The chapters are really long, but the length of chapters only matters if you're an audiobook narrator and you have to sit down ostensibly at one in one sitting and do an entire chapter and one of the chapters took me 62 minutes to record and that's a long chapter in my humble opinion and you know in my not so humble opinion it's a long chapter Ava pointed to a line in the middle of a paragraph if i'm reading this correctly as per her instructions the house was to remain exactly as it was i i i'm i don't know if i was asleep or not i'm going to do that again upon discovering that i was not dead but in a dreadful state bleeding profusely and clinging to life he freed me from my tomb even though i must still as i as you know the editing process is the absolute worst when it comes to these these audiobooks it comes to the podcast comes to anything and 
it's the main reason that I don't do more of the videos. I sit down every once in a while and I want to do a video and I, I don't have a problem sitting down and doing the video, but it's the editing that I don't want to do. Knowing that I have to edit it and I can't just give it to Big Anklevich to edit keeps me away from that. With the audio work, I feel like I am proficient enough, I am good enough that I can do any kind of audio project and it will sound good. But video I just don't have that confidence with. And so I have been editing these chapters. Then we went on our family vacation at the end of July and the end of July the 31st was the deadline for the audiobook. And uh, I had taken the recordings that I had made up to that point with me, but I discovered an error in Chapter 7's recording. And there was no way to fix that error on vacation. And so I couldn't upload anything past Chapter 6. And so it just sat. I mean, not that I would have been able to be finished. I didn't finish the recording process until a week after the deadline, let alone the editing process. But as strong as the book started out, I was vexed at all these terrible, horrifying things that kept happening to Tom. Because multiple things would happen to him in the same day. And I'd just be like, dude, you can't be molested by a spirit and run off the road by a, a ghost truck and attacked by a ghost vulture and swarmed by ghost moths all in the same day and be sane. But, you know, maybe that's just me. I'd be frightened out of my wits if I were you. I can see why you're so tired. This is not a rebel song. I'd be frightened out of my wits if I were you. I can see why you're so tired. An agonized pain seared into his ankle. Tom caught his breath in a shriek of fear. Dozens of rats swarmed in front of his face, their yellow eyes glittering and their jagged teeth glowing in the gaunt fragments of light. They glared back at him with evil little eyes. Their greasy whiskers... This is pretty good. Their greasy whiskers twitched and their scabrous pink tails wagged in his face. Tom gestured toward the window. The bird was here again. The creepiest thing ever. It kept tapping and it asked to come in. Ava frowned. You mean it actually spoke to you? Tom nodded. Yes, and to be honest, it was the most unnerving thing ever. Really? Than a, than a, a zombie licking the back of your neck? I can only imagine. I feel like the book started out pretty strong, but then it gets less so. And uh, I, I, somebody in one of my recent books mentioned that I conveyed the same information two or three times in the book. And that's something that happens in this book as well. Uh, well, the, the, like the same description will happen. The, the exact same words will be used. And, and I notice it because I'm doing the audio. You might not notice it if you're just reading it with your eyes. You know, that's unfortunate. And there were a few typos. There were a few lines of dialogue that were attributed to the wrong person. And I had to make an executive decision and say, no, this is definitely Ava talking or, you know, not Ava talking. And that sort of thing is difficult if you're a writer without reading it aloud to catch. And I would guess that 90% of writers don't read their work aloud. Maybe there's uh, an extra 10% or 15% out there that have a machine that reads their work aloud. I remember Big had some kind of program on his phone where he could just call up his work in progress and it would, in a robot voice, read what he had written. And I think that counts as reading it aloud. But you just catch things with your ear that you'd never catch with your eye. And that means that I catch things all the time that nobody else would catch, unless it was a professional editor. And maybe a professional editor just reads things aloud. 
I don't know. Maybe I missed my calling and that's what I should have been. There was a stretch there where I thought I would offer my services for a fee to edit your manuscript, but I'm lazy and that would require work. Uh, and, and nobody probably would have had me read their manuscript anyway. But I digress. Ava waved her hand in front of her nose. Whew, it reeks like something died in here. Tom grimaced. Or someone. Ava crinkled her nose. Ew, whatever is down there stinks like a stagnant pond. I thought you said it was a dry well. Tom, sh Tom shrugged. The thick, rank smell caused his eyes to water and his sinuses to throb as he explored the fetid well. The terrible odor permeated the mossy stone walls. Okay, I'm at the bottom, Tom yelled. And if you think it stinks up there, you have no idea how bad it smells down here. Be careful. The whole place smelled of an old watery grave. F*** you. The whole place smelled of an old watery grave and a mixture of rotting flesh and sodden vegetation. Did you find anything? Ava yelled down at him. Not yet, but soon, I hope. It's disgusting down here. Later in the book, uh, Tom goes down into a, an abandoned well in search of, the, of a dead body that might have been tossed there, in, in search of the mortal remains of somebody who would have died over a hundred years ago. And at some point he's worried that there might be salamanders down there. And I was just like, okay, priorities, young man. You're going to be rooting around for a dead body in this filthy water, and you're worried about salamanders. Tom coughed dust from his lungs and tried to wriggle backward with a trinket clasped in his hand. With the trinket crap. And tried to wiggle backward with the trinket clasped in his hand. He'd have to go there at night and risk being overtaken by one of the undead or discovered and arrested for attempted grave robbing or desecration. No one would believe him about the hauntings. I don't believe him, frankly. How come nothing ever happens when he's with Ava? Why don't you spend all your days and nights with Ava, then? Uh, I, I, I feel that the book is entertaining enough. And, of course, you know, I do my best to enrich the experience, you know, as far as voices and pace tone go. Now I know that my voice isn't to everyone's taste. I've had criticisms before about how I narrate the cadence of my voice, the pitch of my voice. Somebody uh, said that I scream the first part of every sentence and then it fades off into nothing at the end of every single sentence. And he was an asshole about it in his criticism, but I tried to take that into account and think, you know, he, whether or not he was a jerk about this criticism, it might be valid. I'm going to try and see if I do do that in every sentence. And if that's the case, then I, I will try not to do that. But, you know, I've been around the block a few times. I've been doing audio now for years and, and years. And I'm probably not going to change most of how I do things. So, again, like I said, if you don't like my voice, if, if my voice isn't to your taste, then you're not going to enjoy my reading of The Forsaken, but I do the best I can with the material that I'm given. Tom groped for the keys and chanced a l Tom groped for the keys and chanced a glance. Tom groped for the keys and chanced a glance. Oh, oh. Tom groped for the keys and chanced a glance over his shoulder. The, the sea can be a cruel bitch. The sea can be a... Irish, the sea can be a cruel bitch. The sea can be a cruel bitch. The sea can be a cruel bitch. He's not Scottish, he's Irish. There's been a lot of talk. The sea can be a cruel bitch. Not every book has to be a masterpiece. Sometimes... People just want a, jo uh, a fun ghost story or people want an entertaining yarn without any profanity or sex in it, which seems to be what you get with this book. 
What's wrong, lad? Irish. He's aight. There's been a lot of talk. What's wrong, lad? Tom, you check the windows and back door and be... Tom, you check the windows and back door to be sure they're latched. You check the windows and back door to be sure they're latched. I hope that the author listens to my performance and says, oh, I like what he did here. It's, oh, okay, I, I, I kind of can tell that this part, uh, it wasn't working so well. I mean, that sort of thing has to come out of the performance. You know, the strengths of the writing come to the fore when you're listening to the audiobook version. But also the weaknesses come to the fore as well. That's why I say read it aloud. You will discover things that really work and things that don't work. And hopefully you can fix the things that don't work before it gets to the releasing it to the public stage of your art. And you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be art. I mean, it's a horror book. And horror, except for porn, has the absolute lowest benchmark for quality. You can still enjoy horror if it's crap. I guess you can still enjoy comedy if it's crap. But as a horror fan, I've heard people praise horror movies that are really, really mediocre. And I've praised horror movies like uh, Halloween 3, Halloween 4, Jason X, Leprechaun 4 in Space. These are movies that are never going to win any awards, but I have praised them because they are horror movies. And I am easily entertained when it comes to horror movies. Although Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is an excellent movie. If it were called anything else, it would be a classic that people talk about all the time. Anyhow, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going off on a tangent again. As a creative person myself, as a writer, I have been faced with the knowledge that maybe this isn't my best work. Maybe this story doesn't work at all. Maybe this is crap. And it makes me quake in my boots when I hear it. It's like, well, was all that time wasted? Should I not release this? And your mileage may vary. With something like The Forsaken, I have to ask myself, well, I, could I do better? Could I write a better ghost story? And I don't know that I could write something as disturbing as that scene with the ghost tonguing him. Uh, also, at one point in this book, uh, almost at the very end, something goes into Tom's mouth. And it's horrible. It's visceral and it's disgusting. And I was just like, ah, ugh. While I was reading it, I don't know that I could create something more affecting than that. From beneath the frame wafted a familiar, sickening, syrupy stench that turned his stomach sour. You've got guts, kid. I have to give you that. This is not a rebel song. I have to give you that. His head slipped below the surface. Swill and slimy egg sacs slid into the corners of his mouth and leaked down his throat. The taste of mold and rancid fish made him gag. Tom shot out of the water. Bile squirted into the back of his throat. Oh, wow, that's really disgusting. Well done, Angela. Well done. Bile squirted into the back of his throat, burning its way up his nose before he puked, emptying the contents of his gut. I suppose this has not been the greatest promo for the book. And I'm sorry. I, I had also intended to talk about the most recent Transformers movie, Bumblebee, which I saw yesterday. I, my nephew wanted to rent a movie, and I said, well, get whatever you want. And what he chose to get was Bumblebee. And then his little brother said, I already saw that. And so my nephew said, will you watch it with me? And so I said, all right, we'll sit down and we'll watch it together. And I did. And I meant to talk about it. I meant to talk about it in this episode, but Big Anklevich called me while I was recording this episode and I mentioned it to him. And he said, oh, hey, we should do a That Gets My Goat about that. And I thought, okay, well, yeah, if you want to talk about Bumblebee uh, for a half an hour or 45 minutes, 
we'll do our own episode just about that, and I won't talk about it on the Rish Outcast, but I did intend to, and I was going to say the same thing. It's not a great movie, Bumblebee, and there were a couple of moments that just plain didn't work, and I wondered, well, can I, could I have done better? Could I have written a better Bumblebee movie? If somebody had given me the premise of writing a movie about a girl and her car in the same way that Steven Spielberg signed on as executive producer of the first Transformers movie that Michael Bay directed because of the premise, A Boy and His Car, which was not what that movie was. I mean, maybe if there was a single good moment in that whole movie, except for the reveal of Megan Fox leaning over the engine of some vehicle. If, yeah, if there were any moments that were a boy in his car, they were completely and utterly destroyed by Michael Bay and his team and their ineptitude. But with this, with a girl and her car, could I have written a better movie based on that premise? And I don't know that I could. I don't know that I have the talent to write a better Bumblebee movie than I saw. And that bums me out because it shows the limitations of my ability. But at the same time, I'm not being paid a hundred grand to write a movie. If somebody wrote me this check and said, write a boy and his car or a girl and her car, Transformers movie, and you can do whatever you want with it, could I have made a movie with more heart, made a movie with more resonant moments, made a movie with more joy, made a movie with action that wasn't boring, made a movie with characters in it. And I don't have an answer for you. I don't think that I could. And that is sad. It's frustrating to know your limitations. You know, the Bumblebee movie was not a bad movie. It just, I w- it surprised me that people praised it so much. And, but compared to the other Transformers movies, which are abominations, I guess, yeah, I can see you praising this one. I don't know what I'm trying to convey here. I guess I'm saying that this is a short Rish Outcast episode because you can check out the Bumblebee episode of the That Gets My Go podcast for the second half. <laughs> I hope you don't feel ripped off. Martha, an order of fish and chips for the lad, please. This is not a rebel song. Martha, an order. Martha, an order of fish and chips for the lad, please. Tom held out his hand, and Tuff grabbed it as he pulled, and Tuff grabbed it as he pulled, and Tuff grabbed it as he pulled, and Tuff grabbed it as he pulled Ava to her feet. You know, I'm going to give you a little excerpt from The Forsaken, just so you you don't have to go away empty-handed. And uh, if you feel like checking it out, go right ahead. The headless corpse jumped on him. Its weight pressing down on his chest. Maggot, oh Jesus Christ. Maggots and bodily fluids dripped. (laughs) (laughs) Maggots and bodily fluids dripped onto Tom's face. He jerked his head away so the slime wouldn't leak into his mouth. The creature wrapped its gummy hands around his throat, squeezing like a vice. Tom tore at the sausage-like fingers crushing his larynx. I'm smiling big. I mean, this is really gross, but it's, it doesn't suck. It, it's the book that I came out of retirement for. But now that it's done, now that it's out there, I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in a podcast. Now that it's done... I get to work on one of my audiobooks next. And I'm excited about that. I'm anxious about that. I want it to be as good as it can be. I want people to say, dang, that was good stuff. Rich, that was worth the wait. Uh, you know, and it was a long wait. It's overdue as hell. So there's a silver lining. Here we go. Moving on to the next project. By the time this thing comes out, gosh, I hope I'm knee deep in that project. And I hope to see you again. Enjoy. Enjoy life. Try. I mean, it's, it's, it's nearly done. And now that it's done, I hope you don't mind. 
I hope you don't mind. How wonderful life is while you're in the world. Good night. Weston had taken everything from her. Her child, her dignity, and her dignity, and her looks. I fell asleep again. Tom clambered up the ladder. Oh, I farted. Tom clambered up the ladder. I'm sure she lived out her days in absolute misery. I guess that's it, then, Tom said. Isn't it weird that I'm falling asleep? Yeah. Will you do the license already? Yes, yes. The show you have just listened to is produced under what's known as a Creative Commons 3.0 license, in which you are free to download and share the files as you like, but you cannot change them, take credit for them, or attempt to sell them. You're damned right. Why don't, why don't I get you something to eat to calm your nerves? They're magically delicious. Why don't I come? Why don't I get you? Why don't I get you something to eat? Why don't I get you something to eat? Why don't I get you something to eat to calm your nerves? And then we can talk things over. Whatever the case, let's get out of here. I want to go to Murphy's for a beer and some grub. We can talk it over there. Perfect. I'm starving. Did I do it all? I, I fell asleep again. The dark entrails of the de- the dark entrails of the decrepit well snuffed out any light. The disoriented darkness, the dark entrails of the decrepit, the dark entrails of the decrepit well snuffed out any light. I don't want it anymore. I, I why did I agree to this? He'd rather be his own boss, unrestricted on the open sea, free as the marine life below him and the sky scudding overhead. Scudding? The f***? Could be. But how in the world would you ever find it now? That sounds like Scottish. Oh, those little bastards are always after my lucky charms. Could be. But how in the world would you ever find it now?